And if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, in the church Bibles, that's uh, page 968. And if you have a large print, uh, 1505, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read you some uh, two words together, and I want you to see what they have in common, these, two, these different two word combinations, okay? So the first one is act naturally, then deafening silence, walking dead, only choice, and virtual reality. I'm not going to ask you to call out what you think, but what they all are, are oxymorons. An oxymoron is a combination of contradictory words. So the two words are together in the same kind of sentence, but they actually mean opposite things. So here's the examples I read out. Act naturally, deafening silence, walking dead, only choice, and virtual reality. You see, there are two words that are together, and we know what those phrases mean, but they don't make sense. There's a couple of others that um, I thought of. Um, someone uh, once told me that fun run is an oxymoron. <laughs> and I think fun size is an oxymoron in regards to chocolate. Years ago, uh, in Woolworths, you could buy a one kilogram bar of dairy milk. And I used to get it for Christmas. Now that is fun size. But the fun-sized bars we get now are not so fun. In fact, they make me quite annoyed. But when we look at the Beatitudes, are some of these oxymorons? I mean, the one we're going to look at today is an example. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. And then look a bit further down in verse, uh, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You could look at some of these Beatitudes and think, well, that doesn't make sense. Surely we can't be, be blessed and mourn and be blessed and persecuted. Is Jesus talking sense? Well, I remember what we uh, talked of last week, what blessing means. Blessing is looked at from the context of eternity. When we look back at the end of our life, in God's eyes, in God's judgment, these characteristics in the Beatitudes are what are blessed. And when we look at them, you could still say, yes, but if I look back in my life, surely I'm not going to look at my times of mourning and say that they are blessed. Well, we live in a world that tries to escape mourning of any kind. We live in a very pleasure crazed and entertainment-driven culture that tries to mask pain as much as possible. But the Christian is supposed to be different, not by shunning entertainment and not even by always being glum. That's not what is meant here. But Christians don't mask problems with pleasure. Christians, according to Jesus, know how to mourn. Now, this is contrary to what many preachers will tell us. Many uh, preachers say that Christians must always be happy, 
must always smile. Suffering is not for Christians. But you see here in this beatitude, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus says something very, very different. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, this is not an oxymoron in the sense that they are not two uh, different words that are put together but don't make sense. What I hope you'll see as we go through what this beatitude means is that Jesus makes perfect sense. Perfect sense that it is blessed to mourn. Remember, the Beatitudes are descriptions of a Christian's character. And we as Christians, first of all, it says in verse 3, are to be poor in spirit. And we'll see that the logical follow-on from being poor in spirit is to, to mourn. So as we look at each of these Beatitudes, we're looking first of all who are blessed and then what is the blessing. So first of all, who are blessed? Those who mourn. Now we know what mourning means, uh, at least most of us will. Mourning, it means to, be, to have grief or sorrow over a profound loss. We know this term mainly from when someone dies. There is grief and there is sorrow over a profound loss. And the word for mourn here is, is, a, is, an, is a very deep, deep-seated sorrow. It's stronger than sad or upset. I, I, I'm sad when I, I see a movie where there's something that happens and it's very upsetting. I, I, I can be sad over that. I can be upset if my plans don't quite go right. But mourning is, is, is deeper than this. And the, the best way of describing mourning is when the, the, how we feel when someone dies. It's a deep grief and a deep sorrow. But the mourning Jesus is speaking of here is not a natural mourning. That's the first thing to understand. It's not natural mourning. So it's not, we can't just say this at a funeral. Say, well, it's good that you're mourning because you'll be comforted. You see, Jesus is speaking here to Christians about character. We can't just promise everyone will be comforted if they're mourning. This is about Christians and their character. It's not a natural mourning. When we're at funerals, you can offer comfort by offering Christ. But you cannot say to people, because you're mourning, you will be comforted. The comfort comes only through Jesus Christ. Comfort may come after mourning, but not because of it. So it's not here a natural mourning. Neither is it what I think we could define as a sinful mourning. So a self-centered mourning at the loss of something that doesn't go our way. So in the Bible we have examples. For David, his son Amnon, mourned when he couldn't marry Tamar. That was a sinful mourning. Cain mourned his punishment that he got from God for killing Abel. That's a sinful mourning. Judas Iscariot is another example. He mourned for, for over what he'd done, but it was for himself. It was a selfish mourning. That's not what Jesus is talking here. It's not a natural mourning. It's not a sinful mourning. Those are not the mournings that Jesus said are blessed. 
The morning Jesus speaks of is only understood in the context of the whole of these Beatitudes. The first Beatitude is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it follows on, blessed are those who mourn. So the poor in spirit, remember what this means. This means that before God, I am absolutely bankrupt spiritually. I look at God and I see who he is and I look at myself and I realize there is no way I can pay this sin debt myself. There's nothing I can do. I can bring nothing to God. I'm bankrupt spiritually. And we realize this. That's poor in spirit. But then following from that, we mourn. So I look at God and I see who God is. God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. God is good. God is loving. He is everything good. And here I am, and I recognize I'm poor in spirit, but I mourn because of what I am before God. It's, mourning is the emotional response to the realization that we are poor in spirit. It's described uh, by, Paul, uh, by Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. This is the kind of mourning Jesus means here. It's godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Do you see the difference here between the Christian and the non-Christian mourning? Godly sorrow leads to repentance and salvation. And salvation is where we'll see comfort really lies. Sorrow here it's another word that could describe mourning. It's sorrow over sin. And to understand what Jesus means by mourning here, we need to understand that in, in, in general terms, and we'll look specific in a moment, in general terms, we mourn over sin. I'm poor in spirit before God. I'm bankrupt before God. I'm bankrupt because of sin. God, I've treated God terribly. I mourn over my sin. That's godly sorrow. And it leads, this morning, to repentance. I change. I turn from my sin and I follow God. That's the morning Jesus is talking of here. Uh, we looked at it in Isaiah, didn't we? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah stands before God. He looks at God. He sees him in his holiness. And his response is one of mourning. Woe is me, for I am ruined I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's, that's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So in general, Jesus is talking here of mourning over sin. But we can get more specific than that. First of all, we mourn over our own sin. We begin in this mourning with the state of our own lives. Scripture can give examples of, of people who mourn. David, uh, King David is an example of, uh, of a good mourner in this sense. In Psalm 51 and verse 14, uh, that whole psalm is, is a, a psalm of mourning over sin. But he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, O God, will not despise. His spirit was broken. He mourned over his sin, what he had done in committing adultery with Bathsheba. David was broken before God. He mourned his sin. And Christians take sin 
seriously. That's what we're talking of here. Christians take sin seriously. It is out of character for a Christian to be flippant over sin. It is out of character to look back on our old sinful life with cheer and delight and to show off about it. A Christian goes out of their way to avoid sin. It is serious. You know, we think of mourning in terms of death, and if we were as worried about sin as we were about death, our Christian lives would be an awful lot more healthy, wouldn't they? We mourn like this because we realise how serious sin is and the impact it has. A really great quote on this point is from David Brainerd. He was a missionary in the 1700s to the American Indians. Listen to what he says about his sin. One night, I remember in particular, when I was walking solitary abroad, I had opened to me such a view of my sin that I feared the ground would cleave asunder under my feet and become my grave and send my soul quick to hell before I could get home. Though I was forced uh, to, go out of, uh, to, to go out of bed lest my distress should be discovered by others, which I much feared, yet I scarcely dared sleep at all, for I thought it would be a great wonder if I should be out of hell in the morning. This here is a Christian absolutely horrified over their sin. And I wonder, have we lost that sense of horror at sin in the church today? Sin is so serious that it should cause us to feel this way ourselves. Not permanently. We'll see in a moment that there is there's comfort. But do we ever stop to consider ourselves in the light of the holiness of God? So first of all, it's our own sin. But it's more than this. It begins with our own sin as we stand before God, but it leads us on to mourning for the sin of those around us. And secondly then, Christians mourn over sin in the church. Sin in the church. Paul uses the word mourn to describe how he feels about sin in the church. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. You see the word there, grieved. Paul was concerned that when he goes to the church, he would have to grieve over their sexual sin. And then in the, uh, the book before, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2, he writes this to the church. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Again, he's talking about sexual sin. And Paul urges the church here to mourn over this sin. He encourages the church to exercise church discipline, to put someone out of the church because of unrepentant sin. That's what church discipline is. We remove someone from membership because of unrepentant sin. 
But Paul says that the Corinthians seem to act with pride over this, whereas they should react with mourning. This tells us that as a church body, as a whole, we must take sin seriously. We must exercise discipline in our church where it's needed. But as we do so, we do so not with pride, but with mourning. We do so with mourning. If we have to put someone out of membership of the church, we could, in our sin, respond, how could they do such a thing? Or we could respond, I would never do that. Paul says, no, we mourn. We mourn over sin in the church. And as I was preparing this, I, I, was, I, I was thinking as well about our reaction as an independent evangelical church to what is going on in the Church of England regarding homosexuality. I think as independent churches, it's easy for us to do what Paul says not to do here and to be proud. As independent churches, it's easy for us to say, well, we would never have homosexual um, bishops or pastors in our church. Whereas, shouldn't rather our response be more one of mourning and one of sadness and of prayer For the Church of England, for all its faults, is the church that lots of people who aren't Christians look to. It's the church that has influence in places like the House of Lords. And it's easy for us to be proud rather than to mourn. Now, I'm not saying don't speak out. I'm not saying, uh, you know, don't, don't say things that, you know, might upset people about this. But I am saying, be careful. We should do so from a heart that is mourning over what's going on in the church. Of Jesus Christ. So we mourn over our own sin. We mourn over sin in the church. And then thirdly, we mourn over sin in the world. All suffering is a result of living in a fallen world. In a 24-hour news culture, I think we can easily become desensitized to the suffering that's going on in the world around us. Sometimes we are sinned against. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes the fallen world shows it's fallen through disasters, natural disasters and such things. But all suffering is as a result of living in a world where there is sin. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but when he saw the suffering, he saw death in his world, Jesus wept. And perhaps we ought to think harder about the suffering in the world, not just what's on the news, but in other areas too, and not just shut it off and hide it away. Perhaps we should think more on it so that we can pray and perhaps even act intelligently. Fourthly, we mourn over the effects of sin on people in our lives. That means we sympathize with people, we, we weep with people, we mourn with people alongside them as they suffer. When someone is suffering, sometimes they just need someone to weep with them, to mourn with them, to listen to them. We should mourn when we see our loved ones suffering. And a mourning heart enables us to give appropriate words when we are led to do so. And then finally on this point, we mourn over Christ's absence. 
In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was questioned about why his disciples don't fast like John the, John the Baptist's disciples. And this is uh, what Jesus said. Uh, well, the, then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So the bridegroom here is Jesus, and at the time this was spoken, he was bodily with his disciples. It wasn't an appropriate time to be mourning because Jesus was with them. But when they go, then they'll fast. And the reason they'll fast is because they'll mourn. And the reason they'll mourn is because Jesus is not here bodily at the moment. We look forward to Jesus returning. And there are times in our lives when we mourn that he's not here. Until he returns, the world and those in it groan. And we long for Jesus to come and to put things right. And as we have that longing in our hearts, which can lead to fasting, that is a response of mourning. So we mourn over the absence of Jesus. So we've seen uh, what we mourn over. What does this look like in the life of a Christian? Well, in one sense, you could look at it in terms of our demeanour. So, uh, however it's not, uh, we're not supposed to just be miserable or morose. That's not what it's talking of here. But equally, on this, at the same time, we shouldn't have a, a put-on uh, joviality, where everything is a joke all the time. You know, jokes, actually, as, as appropriate as they can be, often mask what's really going on. We need a balance, don't we? The Christian is, is serious and sober-minded, but the Christian has a joy from knowing the Lord. There is a, a balance here. But this is deeper than appearances. So, so how do I know if I am mourning, as Jesus describes here? Well, first of all, in terms of the response to our own sin, there's lots of ways that we could respond. Some, in response to their own sin, try and cover it up and hide it away. Pretend it's not there. Hide it from other people. That's not the right response, is it? Some recognize their sin but aren't bothered. Don't care about sin, really. Um, yes, I do things wrong, but hey, I'm forgiven. It doesn't matter. That's not the right response either. Some totally despair and don't even know what to do with their sin. There's, there's all mourning and there's no comfort at all. That's not the right response either. The, the right response here is to confess our sin, but as we do so, to consider the impact over it. It's easy to pass over this. It's easy to say to God, oh, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. I confess my sin. Here's the list, and then move on. But we need to consider what we've done, consider the impact of our sin, and then we bring it to the cross where we receive forgiveness, and we turn from our sin and follow Jesus Christ. Now, with all of these Beatitudes, uh, we can't give a three-step plan. Here's how many hours confession, mourn about this much time, and then go to the cross. That's not what we're supposed to do here. That isn't the point. The point is this, take sin seriously. And if you do so in the light of the holiness of God, mourning will be a natural response, as all of these Beatitudes are for Christians. 
So that's how we respond to our own sin. What about sin in the world around us? Well, are, are you concerned about sin in the church? Does it bother you that your sin impacts the rest of the body and that the rest of the body as individual sin, it impacts all of us? If we're concerned about these things, we need to hold one another accountable. We need to confess to one another. We need to challenge one another. When you see a brother or sister in sin, we need to appropriately challenge one another. What about sin in the world around us, outside of the church? Well, of course, we need to pray. Perhaps we, as we consider these things, if you're convicted over something, then perhaps there are ways that you can help looking to bring the gospel to bear. And for our brothers and sisters, and there are many in our fellowship in Pelsall who are struggling with suffering, let's pray for each other, let's, let's mourn together, let's weep with each other, let's help and encourage one another. You know, this kind of characteristic is shunned by the world today. Mourning is hidden away. We, we, we don't have anything to do with mourning. But Christians are different. And because Christians mourn, Christians are blessed. What is the blessing? They will be comforted. Now the comfort being talked of here uh, is more than a tap on the shoulder. It's even more than a hug. It's literally, the word comfort means called to one side. It's being strengthened with outside resources. And the Jesus uses the same word in describing the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 14, this is what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The word advocate there, uh, in some translations is translated as comforter, but the, the root word is the same as what Jesus uses in the Beatitude. Comfort. Called to one side to help. That's an advocate, isn't it? It's the same, same meaning. Uh, when we uh, come to the book of Acts, Peter preaches a sermon and he talks about the Holy Spirit in the sermon as a gift. How is it a gift? Listen to what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we mourn over sin that's when, and we repent. It comes, repentance comes from mourning and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the comfort for the mourner. But how specifically does the Holy Spirit comfort us? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort with forgiveness of sins. As we're broken by sin and we bring it to God, he forgives us. And what more wonderful comfort can there be than that? That this sin that I have, that I have fallen into, this offence against God, is forgiven by Jesus' blood. Isn't that a wonderful comfort to know? You see, it's right that we mourn, but we don't stay there. We go to the cross and we get the comfort we need as we're forgiven of our sin. You see, Christians mourn, but they're not always weeping because we have the tremendous joy of forgiveness. There is no comfort if we just keep living with the guilt, if we have to do penance to ourselves. There's no comfort if we are kept being reminded all the time of all that we have done wrong. 
But as we look at the cross, we see forgiveness of sin and there is great comfort. Secondly, we're comforted by the Holy Spirit with the ability to obey. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do what's right. And that's a comfort because I know that when I have sinned, I don't fall down and mourn and receive the comfort only to think, I'm just going to do this again. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to always do what is right. When I was in America a year ago, Paula and I drove, and the children, through uh, the desert in Oregon. And the, the petrol stations are hundreds of miles apart. And so you have to check your fuel when you're going past the station, because if you run out, you might be there for days. And there was one time where I was going past the station, and it said the next one is in 100 miles. And I looked at my petrol gauge, and I thought, yeah, it will be all right, because it was expensive at this particular one. So I thought, we'll be fine. And as I was driving along, that station seemed further and further and further away. And I was really uncomfortable. And we just about made it to that next petrol station to fill up with fuel. Why am I telling you this? That's not how the Christian life is. You see, God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we've always got enough. We've always got what we need to do what God calls us to do. And that's a great comfort to know that God doesn't ever ask us to do anything that the Holy Spirit does not give us the power to do. And that's a really important thing to remember as we look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Because there's a lot in this sermon. There's a lot of hard things. The Christian life we see here is is a narrow way. But the Spirit gives us the power to do what we need to do. And thirdly, we're comforted with peace. This is especially true for those who are suffering and mourning over the effects of sin in the world. We know as Christians that God is in control. We know that one day the comfort promised here will be complete. Because in Revelation 21 verse 4 we read, What is there no more of? There is no more mourning. No mourning. There is peace in knowing God is in control and the Spirit reminds us of that. And the Spirit points us to the word which tells us of heaven where there will be comfort forever. So there's comfort now. There's forgiveness, there's empowerment, there's peace. But Matthew 9 reminded us that Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, this comfort will be fully realised. As with all of these beatitudes, there is a now and there is a not yet. As we consider this comfort, it's worth knowing as well what the source of comfort is that the Holy Spirit uses. So um, the Holy Spirit's the source but he uses means to comfort us. And there's two main means the Holy Spirit uses. There's God's word and God's people. In fact, God's word in Romans 15 verse 4 is described as a comfort or an encouragement. As we read God's word and meditate on it and we listen to it preached and we soak it in, it brings us comfort. As we hide it in our hearts, in those times when we're struggling with the sin, God brings it to mind and it brings us comfort. And then God's people. In the Bible, we're, we're called to comfort one another. In Philemon, Paul talks of Philemon, uh, of Philemon as giving him great joy and encouragement. In 1 Thessalonians, the Christians are really worried about the return of Christ. What's going to happen to those who have already died? 
And Paul writes to them and he tells them, don't worry. He explains what's going to happen when Jesus returns. That's a whole other sermon. And But with those words that Paul says, he tells the Christians, encourage one another with these words. And then later on he says, encourage one another and build each other up. You see, as Christians, we're to take the word of God and use the word of God to bring comfort to one another. And that's why it's so important that as Christians, we meet together week by week by week and we hear this word preached and then we take this word and we encourage each other with what it says. Let us be a church, a body that comforts one another. As we look at all of these Beatitudes, what we will see is that Jesus Christ is the model. He is the model mourner. He's described as a man of sorrows. Now, it doesn't mean that he was always miserable. We've seen that's not what it means. But he knew how to mourn. When we see Jesus Christ, we see a man who wept, who had compassion over those who both had sinned and of those who were suffering the effects of sin in their lives. But the place where we see this most is we we look at the cross. And on the cross we see mourning and we see comfort. On the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of sin. He was forsaken by his Father. And the sky went dark for three hours as he bore the weight of sin. Never was there mourning like this. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we read of comfort. It says that, we're talking of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's comfort there. While Jesus is on the cross, he could look ahead He could look ahead to what the cross would achieve. Glory for himself. Forgiveness for his people. The mission of Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, where it says, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's done. It's finished. That joy made him able to endure the mourning of the cross. But we also see the end as well, don't we? Jesus Christ rose again. Sin is paid for. Death is defeated. And one day we experience the full comfort of heaven. Where it won't be blessed are those who mourn there. It'll be blessed are those who did mourn. But now there is only comfort forever and ever. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Amen. Well, before we sing, I'm going to pray. And I think it's appropriate um, thinking of mourning and sin uh, that we just have a time of quiet, just for a couple of moments, where we place ourselves before God and just quietly in our hearts just confess our sin and seek the comfort of his forgiveness. So let's just be quiet for a couple of minutes as we do that.